Former Secretary of Corrections Ray Roberts joined El Dorado Inc.'s Connect and Caffeinate, where he shared about his career in corrections and a few things he learned along the way. Well, uh, I'm glad that you're here, and I, I, if there's anything that I say that you don't like, you can blame it on Larry Crawford. <laughs> Larry, Larry's the one that recommended me to do this, and of course he'll be here next month, and I'll be glad to sit and listen to him talk. I guess to begin with, how did I get into the field of corrections? I, I started, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I finished high school and didn't have any money. And, uh, and I thought, well, maybe I'll go into business, get a, get a business degree. And then I, I thought about trying to uh, uh, be a school teacher. And then, uh, and then I heard that there was a criminal justice program, it was called the LEAP program. It was back in the early 70s where they would pay for you. If you worked two years in the field of criminal justice, they would pay for your college. So I heard about that, and hey, that sounded like a pretty good deal. So that's what I did. I didn't know anything about police work. I didn't know anything about corrections work. I had no idea I'd end up in corrections, actually. I thought I would end up being in police work. And as it turned out, I could make more money uh, in, the, in the corrections in, at the Mississippi State Penitentiary. I could make more money than I could uh, working in, in a lot of the police departments. Uh, so, anyway, that's changed now. The, the pay is not very good anymore. <laughs> but it was, it was, I guess they couldn't hardly find anybody to work in the penitentiary. But I, I, I decided to do that. And then, after I got into the criminal justice program, uh, we had a director of the criminal justice uh, uh, division named Tyler Fletcher, who was a lieutenant colonel. And at that time, if you think I got a baby face now, I really had a baby face uh, back 40-something years ago. And, uh, and I weighed about 150 pounds, and Tyler Fletcher called me in, in, the, in his office. He said, son, I, and I was about 23 years old, but I looked about 18, 17, or 18. I didn't look like I was grown, actually. But uh, he said, son, I, I'm not sure you're big enough to work in this business, and I'm not sure that you're, you're the right kind of person for this. You, know, you might want to rethink that. Of course, he didn't realize it, but if you tell me I can't do something, that's just an incentive for me. <laughs> and, that, and I want to do it even worse uh, after that. But that business, and then, uh, so those were some of the reasons that I got into corrections is because it was paid for. And then the other part is I figured out that I'm probably not that smart. And I really enjoyed my career. I really did. I enjoyed it and missed it uh, for about three months after I retired. <laughs> uh, my educational background, uh, with the LEAP program money, I was able to get my bachelor's degree in criminal justice and get my master's of education in counseling and guidance uh, free of charge, basically. And so that worked out real well for me. Uh, overview of my career path, I started as a correctional officer in 1975, and things were a lot different in 1975. Since that time, I, I worked as, in several different capacities. I worked in the uniform division to start with, and then I worked, they even had, had me over the law library for a period of time for whatever reason. I don't have any legal background, but I was, they knew that I showed up on time and, and, and uh, uh, I, would, I could probably do it. Then I got into the mental health department and became a camp counselor and then a correctional counselor. I was uh, the warden at, at actually I, I was going to quit correction. I was going to get out of the business. And the warden wanted me to stick around and they were opening up a 
three slots at the Mississippi Law Enforcement Training Academy. And he asked me would I take one of those. I'd already resigned, actually. And he asked me would I do that. I did that for five years and really enjoyed it, but was glad to do something different. And then I became the deputy superintendent after that. They called them superintendent rather than wardens in Mississippi. I worked there for a period of time, and then I was uh, uh, promoted to the warden's first effort to decentralize the prison system in Mississippi at the Rankin County Correctional Facility. And uh, I worked there for about three years, and, uh, and then I decided that I wanted to do something different. Sent out some resumes, uh, about half a dozen, and, and Kansas was uh, asked me for if I wanted to do an interview. And I didn't know anything about Kansas. We, I've been over the Mason-Dixon line, but that's, that's about the farthest I had. I, mean, I was a southern guy. And uh, as it turned out, uh, I applied for the Kansas State Penitentiary Warden's job. Uh, because it, it became open, they, they didn't select me for that job. They selected Steve Davies, who later became the Secretary of Corrections. And then about three months after that, uh, uh, Steve Davies called me and he said, uh, you got any interest in coming back to Kansas? Uh, uh, he, he, said, uh, he said, I have a Deputy of Operations position open, which I'd be over the Security Division, basically. And he said, I, you've got a lot of correctional experience, so we, we could use you there. And uh, so I, he asked me two or three questions, and then I, they had a formal interview, and I, I came here as a deputy. I came to uh, Lansing as a deputy uh, warden over operations. Worked there for about a year. Steve got promoted to the secretary's position, and uh, I got promoted to the warden's position. I got a call uh, from Gary Stotts, who was the secretary. He wanted me to come to central office and be the deputy secretary. Well, I didn't want any part of central office. I, I really didn't. And I told him that uh, in, a, in a very tactful way. And then he said, uh, well, I, you know, he said, think about it. So he came back later and I said, still not interested, Gary. And so he came back the third time and I said, well, maybe I ought to, uh, this guy's my boss, you know, and I, I, I might better consider that. So I, I went to central office and stayed there for about three years and really learned a lot. And uh, after that, I got a call from Mississippi. They wanted me to come back. and and run the Mississippi State Penitentiary uh, and be the superintendent there. And so, long story short, I decided to do that and uh, went back for a period of time and I, I found, found myself in a political minefield and uh, I resigned shortly after that, got out of corrections for a short period of time and worked. Actually, actually I resigned and it's the first time I've ever done that in my life, in my life and I never did it after that. I didn't have another job to go to. And I, I uh, Anna Jean and I were living in a little trailer there in uh, Edwards, Ed, in Edwards, Mississippi, on the lake. It was kind of fun living on the lake there, but it, we'd been there. Uh, I, I got, uh, I left on Friday, and then on Saturday morning, I didn't have a job. I didn't know what I was going to do. It was the weirdest thing, weirdest feeling I ever had. At about 10 or 11 o'clock that morning, I got a call from a guy named Stuart Irby, who was the... Uh, a millionaire in Jackson, and he was also a volunteer with the Department of Corrections and the chaplain had talked to him about me and wanted to ask him, you know, you might want to look at this guy because he's got some correctional experience. So he hired me as a correctional consultant. I worked there about seven months. Mr. Irby asked me would I go to uh, uh, Houston and uh, help them set up a, a program called the Interchange Freedom Initiative. 
which is similar to the Brothers in Blue pro pro program at Lansing. And uh, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll help them do that because I, I knew the, the inmate side of it and I knew about corrections. <clears throat> after I did that, I, I, uh, it was about a week after, I got a, actually I got a, a job offer from the National Institute of Corrections and I was, I was going to take the job. Then this interchange group called me, Prison Fellowship called me and asked me would I do that. That was a good experience for me. I worked uh, there for about 11 months, then came back into the uh, Kansas system and, and to Ellsworth. You know, it was a deputy warden for three months in Sheila. I actually worked there for Louis Bruce, who was the warden at that time. And uh, and I, I was there three months. Louis got promoted to deputy secretary. I got promoted to the warden. Now, they had me some kind of funny name for a period of time, but I actually, for all practical purposes, a warden for. Uh, and I was there for six and a half years. And uh, really, really enjoyed uh, being at Ellsworth. And I came to El Dorado in 2003. It was a good experience there. There about seven and a half years. And then I uh, uh, got a, uh, some, they asked me in, in the governor's office, they asked me would I come and be the secretary. I said, no, I'm not, I'm not your guy. I probably won't be able to get along that well with the legislators because I'm, you know, I kind of speak my mind, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm tactful, but I, I don't know, I'm not going to be carrying a cup around for people and stuff like that, that type of thing. <laughs> and so, long story short, they asked me a couple of times, said, would you just come up and talk to the governor? And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll come up and talk to him. I talked to Anna Jean and said, this is crazy, but I, I think I might go up and just see what he's got to say, and this will be the first time that I've had a chance to actually tell the governor exactly what I thought about corrections. Got up there and uh, they hired me. <laughs> so I was there for about five years, and and uh, you know, in 2016 I re retired and uh, really, really enjoyed uh, being retired. It was it was a good move. Some of the things that I found most interesting about corrections, uh, it was a, there's something different happening every day. It's not a, a mundane, uh, routine type job. There's something happening every day. You got a lot of inmates that are uh, pretty interesting people to to, uh, to get to know. I learned a lot about human nature, and then uh, it's a. Uh, I loved escapes. I, I, I really loved to go out on escapes when I was a correctional officer. When you become a warden, you don't love escapes. They, they ask a lot of questions whenever you lose them. But uh, I really enjoyed going out on escapes. I had a bloodhound. Actually, I used to let Anna Jean. I'd run a trail out in the wood. I'd come find her with my bloodhound named Spud. Cotton picking Spud Bodine was his, his name. <laughs> and uh, he liked Anna, Anna Jean, and he, he didn't have any problems uh, finding her. Uh, I enjoyed implementing new programs. Uh, I enjoyed uh, renovating facilities. The thing that I really enjoyed was the Spiritual Life Center in Ellsworth and El Dorado. I, I got a chance to be a part of both of those, and that was a, that was a lot of fun. So that's kind of what the, some of the more interesting things. The unpleasant parts of my career was uh, a lot of violence. I saw a lot of violence, particularly in Mississippi, at the Kansas State Penitentiary. There was a lot of a lot of violence there uh, in the and uh, uh, but I a lot of inmate on inmate and inmate on staff uh, uh, violence. Participating in executions was not fun at all. I I uh, had to be a part of that. I never was the warden at the place where they had the execution. I was, uh, I was a warden at the uh, new facility there in Rankin County. And, uh, but I, I had to be a part of it, and I was 
they had a role in the chamber, just like everybody else did that uh, ranking staff had. I didn't enjoy that. Uh, going to court, um, we went to court in Mississippi. I, I just didn't do without that. I've done, had, hadn't had many opportunities to go into court in Kansas. I've been to some, but it hadn't been bad. Too many changes in the leadership. Uh, there was a lot of times that we'd have a warden for a year. You know, we'd have secretaries and commissioners, they call them in Mississippi, they turn over all the time. And you start from ground one. And I, you could handle that a lot better when I was younger. The older I got, the less I liked all that change. So it just became a, a, a pain. And seemed like some of the stuff we, we were doing, we were just backing up and regrouping and not really getting anywhere. And then, of course, discipline employees was, uh, I've never, never enjoyed it. I had to do it a lot, and I didn't, I mean, I did it as part of my job, but that wasn't a, a fun part of my job. So that's the unpleasant part. Uh, how I navigated my career, I, I tried to embrace change as best I could. I moved around a lot. I worked in a lot of different positions, and, and I tried to uh, uh, learn all I could, even, even from good supervisors and bad supervisors. I had some bad supervisors that I, I really didn't, I, I knew that I didn't want to go that route. And I had some very good mentors along the way as, as well. Uh, and I've always enjoyed working with staff. I tried to reinforce the notion that uh, staff are important and get input uh, as I could. And I was loyal, except I, I did have a tendency to speak my mind when I didn't think something made a lot of sense. And uh, uh, that, that's a actually played out pretty good for me except in one in one situation where it, it, it didn't work so so good and and then finally i learned from my failures i i made a lot of mistakes along the way obviously and and i learned from each time that that i had that i didn't things didn't work out as it should worked a lot of hours and jean can vouch for that she didn't she didn't see me when i was at lansing for very very much i had lived on on a, a state house there at the penitentiary and uh and i was there a lot of a lot of nights uh how has corrections changed over the uh, last few decades uh when i first started we had inmates working in the cotton fields we issued them a spoon i mean you know we you don't think about that but we issued each one of them a spoon and they had to keep that spoon with them everywhere they went if they wanted to eat they didn't have a spoon, they, it was pretty tough. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to describe how things were at, at that time. It, it, was a, it wasn't so good. Uh, the facilities were dilapidated. In fact, Judge Cady, William Cady was the federal judge, and he said our facilities were unfit for human habitation. And he was right. They were nasty. If you've ever been to Mississippi, mosquitoes are big, and there's a lot of them, and it was just, you go in the, I went in the kitchen one time, and, and there was a big pan of cornbread that they had made, and it had, uh, it looked like raisin bread, but it was flies, is what it was. And, and, and of course, it's just a lot of things. The staff didn't get paid very well. We didn't have very many staff. Um, the working conditions weren't so good, and there was a, a fair amount of violence uh, there as well. And in fact, the inmates ran the system in, in some respects. Uh, at least to a degree. So that paints kind of a picture. I can tell you a lot of gory stories, which I want. It wasn't so good, but I learned a lot along the way. And then uh, today, uh, we 
things are much better. Uh, even though there's chaos in some situations and you have problems that are going to come up, the program, there weren't very many programs in Mississippi back, back when. Uh, we've got a lot more programs in the state of Kansas. Uh, uh, inmates are treated more humanely. Uh, the security posture is better. You have a lot of people that are that are dedicated working in our business, even though there's a lot of turnover, there's still a lot of dedicated people that work there. And so the facilities are better, uh, easier to secure, pay still not very good, just like it was in, in Mississippi, uh, which is a, is a problem. And it, 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 it actually over time erodes your, your security posture, your ability to, to uh, keep, keep the place afloat. And so, uh, Technology is better. I mean, I didn't have a computer for years. I mean, I didn't know what a, I never used a computer. And I came to Kansas, and we had a computer. And I, I still didn't want to use it. I wanted to be out in the office. I used uh, Tabor Medill, who was my administrative assistant. I let him do all the typing and stuff like that. I didn't want to mess around with the computers or anything. And as it turned out, I start, you, you start learning to use those, and you start learning that it, you can get have more information, and you can get things done quicker. And, and on and on. So technology is better, better uh, metal detectors, perimeter fences, and those kind of things. So just a lot of things are just so much better, even though, and I'm trying not to be too, paint too rosy a picture because they, it's not like uh, it's a cakewalk at these facilities or anything. But at the same time, I want to, if I'm comparing 40 years ago to the way it, things are now, it, it's pretty doggone good in my, in my retirement. I said, taught a couple of classes and we traveled a little bit, and and I've got a, I've always had a, a, a passion for photography, and I, I haven't uh, been able to use it very much in, during my career because I was so busy, and I used it a little bit, but I mean I did it a little bit, but I, I actually had a lot of uh, a lot of time on my hands now, and I really enjoyed that. So, so what I'll do is uh, maybe I'll take a few questions here if you have any questions. What happens if the guy loses his spoon? His spoon? Mm -hmm. He was in a bad state. Yeah. Uh, actually, you could get one back, but it was not. It was frowned upon because you can make a shank out of a spoon. Yeah. I mean, you can make a knife, homemade knife out of it. So we, we really, it wasn't easy to get a spoon back. But obviously, we had to let them eat. Well, would they until they got a spoon back? They had to eat with their hands. No, actually, they. Well, that had has happened, uh, but uh, not very, not very long. And then what about? Uh, Corporal punishment back in Mississippi in the day. They actually have that? Yep. Uh, I started in 1975, and in 1972, we had corporal punishment in Mississippi, just with what they called the black ante. It was a leather strap, it was about that wide, and it was long. And I, I never, it, it, it was the federal courts had outlawed that uh, by the time I was there. But that was just three years prior to me uh, starting to work there. Wow. And there was, uh, so there was some corporal punishment, and the way that it was done, quite frankly, is uh, there were some, there were goon squads. I mean, I was a correctional officer, and, you know, if the inmates were acting out, you'd, you'd have a, somebody would come out at night, there'd be five or six people, and they would do what they call brush an inmate up. And that was their way of, of doing that. I didn't, I never liked that. I thought it was actually cowardly to uh, have handcuffs on an inmate and, 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 and 
take advantage of them some kind of way. But the reality of it was that that happened for a while. And that's why we were in federal court all the time, is because of uh, the lawsuits that were filed against us and, of course, the living conditions, the food, everything was kind of messed up. And we, I spent a lot of time in federal court, uh, and they sequestered the, the, uh, a lot of people. And you, we played cards, and I got pretty good at cards. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's, uh, it wasn't all bad. I mean, we had the best canine unit around. I mean, if an inmate escaped and he stayed on the ground, if he didn't get picked up in a car, we was going to catch him. And that was, that was uh, always a lot of fun. Did they have quite, <laughs> when I was an officer. Did they have quite a few escapes? We had escapes all the time. And actually, we had, a, we had to have a, had a roll of toilet paper, a, a, a flashlight, a candy bar, and your clothes, and some mosquito repellent. You laid that out, and you just had it there available. And when they when they they call for uh, for an escape, uh, everybody that was available that lived on the penitentiary grounds, or if you lived out off the grounds, they would call people. But if you lived on the penitentiary grounds and there was 136 houses there, it was your responsibility. It didn't matter if you was an officer or whatever. You go out and you shake down facilities and you help with escapes and everything else. Huh. So. Seems like I heard a story about uh, you and a friend of yours, and somebody mother said that you guys are going to wind up in jail. <laughs> you had to bring that up. <laughs> I, I, when I was in high school, I was uh, rebellious. Is probably the nicest thing I can say. I, I, I didn't have much sense at all, and I I've always learned the hard way, and that that was no different when I was in high school. But we had to. Had a good friend of mine ran around together, and now we didn't do anything criminal, but we did silly stuff, you know. And, and his mother, uh, and we sneak out of our house at night, you know, and go do silly stuff and all that. Uh, Mike, uh, Mike was in his bedroom, and his mother came in there, and I was outside in some bushes right below the bedroom, <laughs> waiting for Mike to come out. We was going to go, whatever we was going to do, and uh, I heard his uh, his mother tell him said, uh, you and that Ray Roberts are going to end up in prison. You, you, both of you are going to end up in prison. Well, as it turned out, I did end up in prison for four years, and Mike really did go to prison. So, but I like my part better. I wasn't behind the bars, but Mike was. Okay, so you become Secretary of Corrections, and now you have this budget to manage. Um, how large was the Department of Corrections budget, and then can you talk just a little bit about your interaction with the legislature and convincing them that you needed certain monies to run the system? Uh, yeah, we had about a $400 million budget, rough figures, uh, for the department, and uh, getting money through the legislature and, quite frankly, the governor's office was, was uh, was pretty tough. I mean, corrections is usually on the lower end of the, the food chain as it relates to funding, and uh, it's pretty tough. But I, but I will say this: that where budgets, are, state other state budgets are being cut, Governor Brownback did allow us to keep our budget, and we actually got some increases. And uh, so I was always appreciative of that. Um, legislature, I, I, I really thought that working with the legislature would not be a, a, a very fun thing or very, uh, I, I wasn't sure how that would work, but as it turned out, I found that with legislators, if you're honest with them and you follow up on what they they ask you to, to look at, uh, they actually, are, uh, it, it works out pretty good. 
and I, I had a good experience overall with legislators. I, don't, I, don't, I had a, two or three that didn't like me very much, or didn't, and there was a, one group that didn't like the governor, and you know how, how all that works. But um, I, I was really, uh, I was really quite pleased with the fact that a lot of them actually would listen. It, 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 and, and I really kind of enjoyed it because if you do your homework, you go in there and, and tell it, like, like they said in Mississippi, how the cow ate the cabbage, they, they will listen to it. And, and of course you have to be tactful, but you, you certainly, uh, you've got to speak your mind. If you don't, you'll get run over in, in a big way. When you were in Mississippi, did you get those reflective sunglasses like the movie Cool Hands Luke? <laughs> no, no I, I, I never got into that, that, that role. In fact, I was kind of the odd personality it, it, it relates to the macho and the tough guy stuff. I never was. In fact, that's why Tyler Fletcher didn't think that I could ever uh, work in, in the criminal justice field because I, I didn't have that macho. I could stand I could stand my ground, you know. And, but I I, uh, I never got into that cool hand loop stuff. You, know? <laughs> you never said what we have here is a failure. <laughs> I, I never said that. Actually, I think that movie was supposed to be in Mississippi, wasn't it? I think that's where they uh, claimed that. I think I think it was. I think, yeah. I think it was either Mississippi or Louisiana. I think it was Mississippi. Yeah. You may not even want to talk about this, but we have one one inmate or two two inmates that escaped. Right. Can you boil that down and tell us how it happened? Where'd y'all find this guy? <laughs> <laughs> they paid no. me. No, uh, yeah, we can boil it down. Is the hide happening and everything? Yeah, or? just kind of the fundamentals yeah. of it, you know. Well, uh, we, we had some issues in B-cell house that where the, uh, there probably wasn't as good accountability as to who goes out on the yard uh, in the evening as it should have been. It's supposed to have been rotated. It wasn't supposed to be a pattern so that they would know exactly who would be out there and all that kind of stuff. And for the most part, it was. But anyway, the inmates could see over time that we had some, some, uh, some uh, weak areas, if you will. The fencing on those exercise yards was atrocious. And we'd been asking for, for money to get that fixed for some time. It was, it, was, it was cyclone fencing, and you could actually take a, a fingernail clipper and, and, and cut a piece of it, and you could unroll it. And we had, we had inmates that got out of those enclosures and uh, actually attacked inmates being escorted by an officer sometimes. We had an officer uh, that was uh, worked there a couple of years, and, and she, she uh, lost her mind, basically, and uh, decided that she was going to fall in love with, uh, with one of the inmates. And once an inmate falls in love, I mean, once an officer falls in love with an inmate, you got a very bad security situation because they will do anything. They'll bring stuff in. I've seen them bring uh, contraband in of all types, knives, drugs, everything. Uh, that's the first time that I've ever had an officer help inmates to, 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 to help to break an inmate out from the outside. First time it ever happened in my whole career. And I was a little bit surprised by that, but actually I terminated her before she was able to, she didn't commit this offense while she was working because I, I brought her in, in fact our intelligence division said, I'm not sure we got a smoking gun on her. Well I just bluffed her basically and brought her in I said, I'm going I'm to fire her and we'll see how it plays out. So I did and, uh, and, and she asked could she resign whenever I uh, uh, told her that, you know, I, I think that, uh, of course she never admitted that she, had, she was in love with this inmate but we knew that that was the case. And, uh, but 
bottom line is she, you know, she rented a car, she got a couple handguns, um, she had some bolt cutters, uh, she, she helped break two guys out after they, they got out of the exercise yard, ran towards the fence, and then she threw the one of the weapons over, and the, the other weapon didn't actually land between the two fences, but, but she was going to give them some weapons uh, so that when the mobile patrol came around, that they could actually uh, uh, fight off the officer who was armed in that mobile patrol unit. And uh, as it turned out, uh, that didn't happen. That, thank goodness that didn't happen. But they escaped, and within 55, 58 hours, we had them back in custody. They went to New Mexico, uh, but we had them back in custody in about 50, uh, 55 hours, I believe it was. Now, that was something that I didn't enjoy. I told you I enjoy escapes. Yeah. I didn't enjoy that one. And you never enjoy an escape where somebody gets out and, and potentially is going to harm somebody. And anytime an inmate escapes, they're potentially dangerous because uh, they're, they're desperate. Could those guys have gotten out by themselves without her help? It would have been real difficult. She was a big part of that, wasn't she? Oh, she was, she was the, the main part of it. She, she was the main part. Yeah. She's still in prison now? No, she's out. She served uh, five years, was it? Five years. And then she, she's uh, she's out of prison now. She got out oh, a few years ago. I lose track now since I'm retired. But I think it was about five years ago. About five years ago. You talked about the big changes over the years in the prison system. And you talked about a lot more programs here in Kansas and the spiritual life centers that you built. Did you see uh, results from those things? I mean, was it tangible, the effect that it had on inmates' rehabilitation? I, I absolutely think that it was. Uh, we've done a lot over the last probably 15 years. Uh, and it kind of started, Chuck Simmons, he, he was he was promotive of inmate programs and that, uh, and then Roger Warholtz uh, followed Chuck, and uh, and he and Chuck, and Roger kind of took us into the uh, reentry process where you do some reentry on inmate, I guess, after, when they're about 12 to 14 months uh, prior to release. We were able to get some additional program dollars. Uh, the Spiritual Life Center is uh, is is just wonderful. It, it provides a sanctuary there. And, you know, we can teach inmates uh, skills through vocational training. We can get them an education, but uh, you can have an educated inmate. And so what we, what we find is that uh, those, those type of opportunities in the Spiritual Life Center help to change the heart. You change the head, but you've got to change the heart before any meaningful thing is going to happen. And, and I, I saw evidence of that. I, there's a lot of stories I could tell you about that. Um, our, we have what we call a cognitive reentry type of uh, programming, where inmates actually, through a skilled process, they learn how to change some of their, what we call stinking thinking. Some of the inmates that are 30 years old when they get out of prison, and they've got the uh, mental maturity of a 16-year-old. It's kind of odd, and, and that's the maturity part's a little hard to, to, uh, to teach, but this cognitive programming does help with that. So, short answer, Offender programming is important, it's essential, and when budget cuts occur, it is, uh, it is a bad business to, for that to be your first place that you go, is to, is to try and find uh, ways to pick you up four or five million dollars through the programs, because it's very hard to get it back. It's a constant struggle to get it back. But we have a recidivism rating in Kansas of about 36%. 
36%, that means that uh, in a three-year period of time, only 36% of them come back. That's pretty, that's pretty good. You know, we, we had a recidivism rate 20 plus years ago of 55, 60%. And now it's, uh, now it's not quite half of that, but it's, 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 it's pretty good. John and I are from Butler Community College, and we just, in the last year, went out and started a business program out there for them. So we're actually in the prison system looking to, to help those three years out from being released from the correctional facility. They've approached us about helping them fund a welding program because mm -hmm. of the construction industry and some of the aviation industries that could utilize that. Part of the problem is, is obviously, from what you've said, there's no budget there for them to help you know, put this all together, and welding programs are quite expensive. So do you have any thoughts on how we could help them fund that? Hmm. Um. We've, we've tried working with some industry partners. We've reached out to some, several here in Butler County and in Sedgwick County to see if we could partner and then um, also prepare them with a skill set, with you know, with a job. Maybe the employer would go in and let them make a widget of some sort so it would be dual fold. Right. So the skill set and then the employability factor. Uh, the first thing that you have to do is find out what are marketable skills that inmates need when they get out of prison. And welding is, is certainly one of those. Construction, welding, those kind of things are very uh, good as far as uh, providing a meaningful employment. It's one thing to have employment, but have meaningful employment even. Uh, the chances for success out there is a lot greater with that. Um, you know, I work through the legislatures, tell the legislature about what the issues are, and of course, I don't know what's going to happen with the next governor's election. We'll see pretty soon, but uh, that, you know, I work through the governor's office and through the, uh, through the legislature to, to point out the needs, and, um, and I'm not sure that there's grants out there available for that. There used to be some, some grants, and and our vocational training program is it, pro programs are pretty good in, in the state right now. Uh, we've got 10% of our population working in industry programs, which is kind of like a vocational program in ways because they learn marketable skills doing that too. Uh, but I wish I could give you a magic wand well, we type of answer. You can just write a check or. or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, let me think about that. Yeah. <laughs> Any other questions? Tell me about the M2 program. M2 program. Gene and others have come out to the prison and, and, and interact with inmates uh, and, and what's called an M2. Uh, and it's where you have a, a man and an inmate, basically. Uh, it's how the M2 comes about. And they, these volunteers teach great life skills through their, through their actions and through their uh, just, you know, they just kind of pick up they learn a lot just by being around good, solid volunteers with, with character. And uh, that program has been a very good one. And, and it's, it's really sponsored by the Central Kansas Prison Ministry. And it, it's, a, it's a wonderful program. The volunteers do yeoman work as far as uh, helping inmates to keep their, their wits, helping them to learn actually good life skills that they'll need when they get out. And, and actually, there's a lot of volunteers that help inmates later when they get out. We have a mentoring program where, you know, people get out of prison and, and those mentor, mentors they had in prison follow them out and they learn a lot of, 
a lot of skills uh, from them and they help them get a job and a place to live and those things that are essential for success. I think.